Super Talk Mississippi media production. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome to Coast View, the show that celebrates every single day the amazing people who make this such a great place to live, work, and play. You know, we're so lucky to live in coastal Mississippi. And for two years, actually two years today, we've been celebrating the people who make this place such a special place to live, work, and play. And I'm so thrilled to be here. It's been it's been a great journey over the last couple of years. Let me uh, let me ask my my partner in crime. Kyle Curley, the producer of Coast View, to join me for a second, and we're just going to reflect for just a second. Kyle, uh, congratulations, man, on uh, hanging in there with me for two years, my friend. It's always fun to make an annual anniversary. That means we're still employed. <laughs> I tell you what, it's not just that, buddy. Um, you know, we've we've done a good job of growing the audience of this show and, and trying to keep it relevant. We're staying relevant. And I said from the beginning that as long as the show's relevant and making a difference, that we're, that we're going to hang in there. But we've got great support from uh, the owner of Supertalk, Steve Davenport, and the president, uh, Kim Dillon, and uh, the market the market uh, general manager, uh, Kenny Vest, and the team that you're surrounded by. We, you know, Cammie Martin has been terrific in, in helping us with the content on this show. You've been a great producer, but it's taken a team effort. And, you know, here we are two years into it, and I think the enthusiasm level from the team of people who are responsible for bringing this to our audience every single day is as high today as it was when we started. And I appreciate your contribution to that. Oh, you bet. It's my pleasure. It's been a uh, wonderful experience for me, uh, not only from a learning aspect, but just a growing aspect in general. You know, before, I think I'd mentioned this before, you know, before the show, I really just kind of went along with whatever was happening on the coast and didn't really pay a whole lot of attention. But now I'm paying more attention to things that's going on around me and stuff that I should have been paying attention to before. It just how everything mingles together and how it affects the way things are day to day. And with this show, it's almost getting a, a bird's eye view of things before actually a lot of other people hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's interesting, Kyle? I, I think, and I knew this as a publisher of newspapers for, for so much of my career, is that people are busy. You know, it's people are busy, busy, busy. It's hard to keep up with the news. I think in the day of social media that, you know, our news feeds are full of so much junk. And I think what happens is that, you know, I, certainly people are focused on those things, but people sort of begin to reject all this, all these inputs of information. And it's, it's easier to just sort of focus on the things that, you know, this is, you know, the average person's focus on just trying to get through the day, you know, you know, wanting to get home, find enjoyment, finding their happiness and, and their hope in life. And it's easy to forget about what it takes to make a community like ours tick. It's easy to forget about the kind of leadership that it takes to make a community like ours tick. And this show has been a great reminder. I, I remember the conversation you said you were having with your wife and she brought something up and you immediately answered that. Uh, it, you know, it's probably it's, it's cool for you probably to, to have a better feel for what's happening here. It is because I'm not always the smartest person in the room. <laughs> well, hey, so, you know, well. Kyle, but you know what? You're the most, you're so darn modest because the reality is you're one of the smarter guys I know. I mean, you think about what you do at this station with uh, the information technology and the operations and all the work that you do 
uh, you know, across multiple platforms. You do the music in Superdomes during Saints games. Man, you're, I've, I referred to you literally in the first show with Haley Barber. I referred to you as the jack of all trades, and here we are two, year late, two, two years later, and I still refer to you that way. You're, you're, you're also awfully modest. Uh, yeah, I kind of am. I've always been that way, and I, you know, I, I, I just never like to put myself up on that pedestal or whatever. I've never been the bravado person, like, oh, I can do that. More than likely, I can. I'm just not going to tell you I can unless I really have to. You know, you know what, you know what I find, Cal, and that's a characteristic of a lot of the leaders we talk to. We, we're, you know, we're bringing people to this show that maybe some people have never heard of before. In fact, a lot of them, you know, most people haven't heard from before because they've just done their work quietly behind the scenes. They don't want a lot of attention. They just do what they do. Uh, they work hard in their careers. They're trying to make the most of their their personal situations, trying to improve themselves personally. But they're also committed to the community simultaneously. They're wanting to give back to the community. And the people who come on the show are really, really focused on that. And and what you and I get this opportunity to do with Cammy's help is to shed the light on them so that we can see how all of their stories start to come together in this amazing, like, I don't know, you know, I call them the thousand points of light. You know that all the time. But when you bring all these lights together, it helps us realize that here, here in coastal Mississippi, we are full of incredibly competent, focused, uh, passionate leaders who want the best for coastal Mississippi. And they are each a, a point of life, a light, excuse me. And, uh, and they've made a real big difference. And it's been, it's been a pleasure to have the opportunity to kind of facilitate bringing their stories to the forefront. And I've learned with you, man. I mean, I've said this before, the more we learn, the more we better learn how much we don't know that life's a journey of discovery. And this, that's certainly been the case for me, man. I've, I've, I've learned just right there along with you. Yeah, and I've again, I've really enjoyed every step of the way. The uh, learning, the meeting new people, um, every bit of it has been a fantastic ride so far, and I'm looking forward to uh, many more years to come. One, one, one final, one not final thought, but one one last thought related to this part of the conversation. You know, looking back two years, uh, we posted on the Super Talk uh, Gulf Coast 103.1 Facebook page, and then I put it on on the Coastview page as well. The very first conversation we had with Haley Barber, and uh, I thought when I when I pulled it out, I thought this is going to be sort of a high cringe factor for me looking back at the first show, but I didn't feel that way at all. Actually, I, I was uh, I was I was impressed with how you and I had a kind of good handle on what we wanted to do with the show from the very beginning. And, uh, you know, I mean, if, if the way the pieces fit together, the, the intro music and all of the stuff that we did, it has kind of stood the test of time, really. And you look at that back at the first conversation with Haley Barber, what a great, uh, you know, recollection it was, not only of his career, but his influence here in coastal Mississippi. A reminder of how here we are, 15% of the population for the total state, but economically we're an engine that drives the rest of the state. I thought it was a great way to kick off that, that, that week. But uh, but we did hit the ground running, didn't we? We sure did, and uh, you know, there's for me there there's a little cringe factor just on the production value overall. But you know, we've come <laughs> a long way since then. And uh, like you said, though, we kind of knew where we wanted to go with it, and I eventually got my part, the production side part, to where it where I think it should be, and got a few ideas for moving forward too. So we had a lot to deal with man we were doing the shows live um we're, we're doing uh 
pre-recording now because we're using our, our ability to do these shows remotely, and uh, we're recording them about 24 hours ahead of time. But we're using new technology to help us, and the pandemic really has changed things. And I think it, the pandemic has contributed to helping make this show better in a lot of ways. But man, go back and look. We were we were doing Facebook and YouTube live. We were you know had the camera in the in the uh, contr- excuse me in the studio, and we were. We were we were rolling with live radio right off the bat, and you know if you look back, man, we really didn't have any big blinks there in that time. I, you know, you know what my biggest concern was: walking to the front door, fifteen minutes out from a live show, and still waiting for the guest to get there. Because man, I'm not a radio guy. The thought that a guest didn't show up and we had a live yeah. show to do, I was going to put you on the spot and make you do a lot of talking. Yeah, and for me, it was learning two new systems all in one go. Um, TeleSouth had just taken us over, and I had started learning a different automation system, and then the video system was kind of uh, maybe had a week or so with it before we actually went live. And yeah, that was that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a great I saw a great uh, quote this morning on one of the newsletters I have from T. S. Eliot, and it said, "Only those who will risk going." Uh, excuse me, let me start over. Only those who will risk going too far can can possibly find out how far one can go. Um, and I think, you know, we learned a lot. We we had to risk a lot on this show using a lot of a lot of uh, parallel technology so that we can have the social media and the video and the live radio. It's been it's been a great uh, it's been a great exploration for the two of us. I appreciate your partnership. You bet. Okay, we're going to switch gears now and move over. You know, I've been I've had some great conversations with uh, authorities from the uh, Guppert Biloxi International Airport, and uh, along the way, have talked a lot about how the COVID has really kind of changed flying around the world. I had an opportunity back in April of 2020. It's been it's amazing to me now looking back on this to have uh, Alan Baker, who was a local pilot. Uh, we'll remind you here shortly who he is, but we had a great conversation. COVID had just started. We, you know, a lot of there were a lot of unknowns back in those days, and uh, with all that in mind, I invited Alan to join me back to Coastview today. He lives in Gulfport. He's an international pilot. We'll remind you how he got to where he is in his life. But we're going to kind of talk about the state of affairs these days in the airline industry. And without any further ado, let me welcome Alan to uh, Coastview. How you doing, my friend? Hi, Ricky. Thanks for having me back. Uh, congratulations on our uh, second anniversary with you. Well, it's great to have you as uh, as the as the uh, special guest for the second anniversary. When we come back, we're going to really dive in deep to talk about the pandemic and how it's impacted the airline industry. Uh, we'll see you after this break. Subscribe for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to Coast View. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, I had the opportunity back in April of 2020 to talk to Alan Baker. He's uh, quite an accomplished local pilot. He does international um, um, flights. And we'll talk to you more about how he came to that role and what he does in his, in his real world uh, work. But, uh, but I thought it'd be interesting to get him back after you know, now two years, more than that, into the uh, pandemic and uh, to see how life has changed and what the, kind of what the state of affairs are these days in the airline industry. But anyway, I appreciate you coming back. And as we mentioned before we went to break, this is the two-year anniversary of, uh, of COSU. And, uh, you know, what a, what a terrific guest to have as we, as we think about, you know, here's a guy who lives in Gulfport but has flown literally all over the world. Um, it's been a dynamic last couple of years for you, my friend, hasn't it? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, looking back, uh, last time we talked, it was uh, right in the ascent phase of COVID, and there was so much fear. I remember that uh, that interview, and uh, man, we were all afraid. We weren't sure exactly where this was going, or uh, you know, it was already bad. And man, I was I was uh, remember kind of decontaminating after coming in from a, a trip. And I'm like, well, we don't really do that anymore. But, uh, you know, fear has kind of given way to uh, frustration, I guess. Uh, it's like everybody's long ago been ready for this to be over. And just about the time, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. It turns out it's another variant, you know. And, and uh, I mean, if, if we couldn't laugh about it, where would we be? So uh, yeah, that's, uh, that has impacted, uh, you know, air travel a lot. Uh, there's been a lot of things that sort of just kind of froze into stasis and, and become standard operating procedures. And, and, you know, people are really tired of the, the whole masks on airplanes and in airports program. But, uh, you know, here, here we are uh, dealing with it, and hopefully it'll get better uh, as this year progresses. We've had the benefit of uh, having Dr. Nicholas Conger. He's an infectious disease doctor at Memorial. We've had him on the show uh, countless times. I, I can't even remember now how many times. I, I like I like his views toward things. First of all, he's smart as hell. And uh, to be an infectious disease doctor, he understands the, 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 what, what happens with variants. As, as a coronavirus runs its course, uh, our hope is, and certainly this is the case, at least we believe this is the case with Omicron, that while it may become more infectious, it becomes less deadly. And you know, we'll, we'll continue to run, mutations will come and go, and we'll have to continue to learn how to deal with it. But with each mutation, with each variant, there could be a, a separate set of conditions that we have to be dealing with. And in this particular case, we've got Delta that has been deadly, more deadly, obviously. And then we got this proliferation of Omicron. Then it's hard. I, I, I can understand on the national news front how, why this is difficult, but but they, they tend to kind of bring them together as one when they talk about COVID generally. Um, and, it's, and it makes it very, very frustrating. It makes it almost impossible to describe in any kind of uh, simple way. You see that every day, don't you? We do. And my first question is, what do we do when, when we run out of the Greek alphabet? You know, it's kind of like hurricane season. We shift from the, you know, the Roman alphabet and, and go to Greek to name the storms. What happens with these variants when we, we get to the end of the Greek alphabet? Which, who, who's, who's do we use? 
Wow, I, I get that. Hey, listen, before we talk about the pandemic and how it impacted you, I, I've, I joked with you off the air, but I really do mean it, that if I were to go fly anywhere in the world, I'd want you as my pilot. And the reason why is because, first of all, you're an engineer, but you're, you've got incredible a number of hours on so many different planes. Uh, you've, you've been an emergency actions officer. You've been a flight instructor. Give, give people a chance to kind of hear your short story and what your training's been like. Oh, my gosh. Uh, started out with uh, just a very powerful curiosity of, of flying. And that, that came from my dad, uh, who always wanted to uh, do what I'm doing now. But uh, uh, I've just always wanted to fly. I went to the Air Force Academy and won an appointment there. Uh, fairly competitive uh, for the intent of going to pilot training and, and uh, being a fighter pilot for the Air Force. I uh, went to uh, pilot training up at Columbus, Mississippi, where uh, a lot of people uh, have been, uh, you know, just east of Starkville, home of Mississippi University for Women. And uh, I was uh, brought back as a flight instructor right off the bat. And that, that has been sort of a recurring thing throughout my, uh, my uh, flying career. But uh, following that, I went to uh, work on a wing staff in Upper Hayford, England, and I was uh, working on the in the command and control division as an emergency actions officer, working with the uh, you know nuclear codes, the uh, you know unlock codes, and all the uh, other uh, uh, crypto that went with that, and uh, you know command and control procedures. Uh, following that, I transferred services to the Navy which was uh, kind of a politically risky move, but it was getting me where I wanted to go. And I was an instructor again for the Navy down in Kingsville, Texas on the uh, T-2 Buckeye. And out of that, I got orders to uh, fly F-18s where I spent the rest of my uh, military career. Three tours, uh, three cruises, two of them were combat cruises. And uh, when that came to an end, it was in the middle of the big, uh, defense drawdown in the mid-90s, and I got an early retirement from the Navy and went to work for United Airlines, and I've been there ever since. I've uh, flown the uh, 727 as a flight engineer. I flew uh, the 777. I was on the initial cadre of flight instructors. Here's this recurring theme again. <laughs> and uh, brought the 777 out, uh, did that for four years, and then went back to uh, line flying. Uh, Flown the uh, Airbus 320, the 757, 767, uh, the 777, the 747. I've been a captain on the uh, uh, 737. I just checked out as a 777 captain this past August. So I'm I'm back to long haul international on the on the uh, airplane that I that I helped bring out um, back in the uh, you know mid 90s. And those total literally thousands of hours. And then in addition to that, in addition to that, the T-37, the T-8, you mentioned the FA-18, FA and then, of course, the TA-4. So you've yeah. got a lot of experience. And, I, you know, when we talked last, we went through a long list of uh, of things that were happening. You were, you know, going through sort of the how it was, you know, the beginning steps of, of COVID. Little did we know that the airline industry would be Im impacted as much as it was during those those uh, days after we talked. Yeah. Uh, you were actually down for a while. I want to, you can remind me about, about how long that was, but I remember seeing a picture that you took from the cockpit at a, a, somewhere over South America, just beautiful picture over South America. 
and it hit me that you're back in the air again. But how long was there? Was there a significant downtown? Remind me about that. Yes, I was. We call it a, a COVID holiday. Uh, I flew really hard up until the end of April, and then it just stopped. I didn't turn a wheel again until uh, you know November, and uh, you know during that time. I was continuing to get paid, which was a, a real blessing. You know, we didn't know how that was going to work out. But, uh, yeah, I, I had this time on my hands. And, and uh, actually, I went, uh, you know, I have an undergraduate degree in civil engineering. And um, so I've used that uh, from time to time, you know, when during, especially during downturns in the industry. But uh, I got recurrent in civil engineering. I joined the uh, American Society for Civil Engineers. and. Uh, Took one of their certification programs, got certified in uh, port engineering operations and management, and uh, that kind of rolled in. And actually, right now, I'm in, enrolled in an online master's program in civil engineering with Purdue University. I just got my first report card. Oh, okay. congratulations. <laughs> how, how did you do? I uh, got a 4.0. Uh, <laughs> first shot's the lucky one, right? Well, look, no, I'm not surprised because, you know, smart people... I mean, you heard what I said a few minutes ago, that the more we learn, the more we better learn how much we don't know, that life's a journey of self-discovery. And, uh, it's you know, the more you learn how much you don't know, the more, the more humbling it is. And smart people like you just have a tendency to want to constantly reach out and find ways to expand your horizon. And uh, that's been true throughout your flight career. And I, I'm not surprised that it's also true in your original, uh, your original degree in uh, engineering. Not, not at all surprised by that. That's just well, who you are, isn't it? Well, education is a continuum. At least that's what I'm being told. And, uh, you know, so I, I pressed the test and it lit up. So feeling very fortunate on that count. But, you know, what do you do? What What is retirement? I mean, look at you. You know, you thought you were retired and, and here you are with your own, you know, radio and TV show. Yeah. Well, I, I, again, it's hard. I, I enjoyed the break, and I'm enjoying retirement, other than the fact that I do this show and then Such once a week. Is, super, right? Yeah, Super Talk Outdoors. I forgot, and I've said this many times, I forgot how much I enjoyed connecting. You know what I mean? I, I, that was important to me. And, you know, the other thing I forgot is how much I learned as a publisher. And, uh, you know, when I, I was just, man, I was ready to take a break, and it was great to take the break. But doing the shows reminded me how much I understand how things are connected in the community and what it takes to pull it together. And it's been fun. It's been fun kind of bringing all that together. But you're right. I mean, I think people like us, we never stop trying to, you know, expand our horizons and try to figure out what we're going to do next. Hey, when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with international pilot lives in Gulfport, incidentally. Uh, and I want to talk about what the last two years has been like. We've got a long list of possibilities we can discuss, but we'll find out from Alan what it's like these days. We'll be back Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. It's interesting, Alan Baker. Uh, welcome back to Coast View. We talked uh, the first time April of 2020, but it's interesting to me that uh, I'm going to ask you what the last two years has been like 
uh, as it relates to being a pilot in the COVID world. And, uh, and we're also celebrating the two-year anniversary of uh, COSU. The, 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 we had a couple of months of normality. I guess you could call them normality uh, of, of COSU. And then for us, life changed as well. And uh, for the majority of this show's existence, we've had to do it within the, within the guise of the pandemic. But, uh, but in your world, my goodness, man, lockdowns and quarantines and mandates of all sorts and travel restrictions. And when you look at the international flying requirements, even today, I mean, just, just so darn dynamic. So how, how do you sum it up? If there is a constant in all of that, it is change, uh, especially right now. Uh, the rules that have been promulgated by the various countries indicates the you know kind of diversity or on the ground, the reality of uh, what COVID impacts mean to them in their particular countries. Um, and, and of course, we have to accommodate that. Um, However, they, having said that, they are, are very similar. Uh, some places want you, to, most places want you to be masked indoors uh, up to the point where you're eating or drinking. Uh, some places want you to be masked in the streets, other places uh, not so much. Some places have uh, had, had, had opened up all the way and, and if you were vaccinated, you didn't have to be masked at all, or at least that, that was at your discretion, not, uh, not a public mandate. Um, you know, and it's, that's been frustrating for a lot of us, uh, but as it pertains to uh, passengers on an airplane, there's no, uh, there's no let up to the mask mandate. Of course, everybody's being encouraged to uh, become vaccinated, some on, on pain of uh, termination if, uh, if non-compliant. But uh, you know, as long as passengers are traveling, you know, in the tube, as we say, you know, in the back of the airplane, uh, you got to wear the mask. And uh, you know, that's that not my particular preference, but you know, I'm I'm bound by the same rules. Yeah, uh, we have no flexibility at all. And I checked, Alan. I checked this morning, and uh, eight thousand flights, approximately eight thousand flights canceled. I think actually today, when we're doing this recording. As of today, 2,600 and non-TSA employees have COVID. Um, I, I noted that in, in the notes that we exchanged that uh, there are a lot of unintended consequences of all the actions that have happened. And I would think, you know, if you think about unintended co consequences, you think about just public frustration, and I'll let you talk more about sort of the, the beehive of issues there, but that the airline industries would be the one who sees the most because you've got so many people that are coming together at the airports, getting on the airplanes, flying around the country. They're the ones who have to sort through what are the situations where I'm flying. In fact, in, in a second, I want you to tell me where all you fly to internationally. But what are some of the unintended consequences you've seen? Well, the, the first one is going to be public frustration in, in the most general sense. Like we said earlier, it's uh, people are tired of wearing masks and they're ready to be, oh, this is they're ready for this to be over. And I think people are also tired of being, you know, told what to do and, and, and chastised if they come to a different conclusion from, you know, the, the official line or, or what somebody in the media has uh, decided is, is the correct thing. And I, I understand that. I, I really, my heart goes out to them. I, I like for 
people to make good decisions. And, you know, if, if it's a bad decision, then, then, you know, have consequences, you know, and we're, we're kind of in that sticky area where, you know, some one individual's bad decision Im impacts, you know, other people who, you know, are innocent, so to speak. Um, but I, I understand where it comes, where it intersects my life is in, you know, on the airplanes and we just don't have any flexibility there. Actually, it's easy for me because the rules are so clear and they are, uh, you know, clearly enforced. One of the conversations I had re recently with uh, Dr. Conger, again, the infectious disease doctor from, from uh, Memorial, is that the CDC is kind of in a bind. Yes. Because they want to try to find a one-size-fits-all sort of public statement. And, and it's hard to, hard to take each variant and make it a one-size-fits-all sort of answer. And so what's happened is there's been a distrust of public information that's been disseminating. And what that, you know, what you've seen is a rise in passenger misbehavior. And uh, that in noncompliance, as, as you pointed out. Um, have you seen that on your planes? Not very much. Um, really, the, the short answer is no. You know, we get, we've had a couple of people, you know, signal that, you know, they didn't like putting their mask on or they felt somebody was picking on them. But uh, at the end of the day, I haven't had to deal with a non-compliant passenger. I noticed, you know, when I mentioned 8,000 flight cancellations as of today, when you as a pilot view that, how does that rank with what you normally see? And are you concerned that that's going to be a trend going forward? What's your current thinking around that? No, what uh, I, I think there are two causes for that. Uh, the first one is most airlines are understaffed. I remember when this happened two years ago, uh, there was some quick talk about maybe we can get through this, but most, most airlines actually started furloughing uh, pilots in order to you know, save those costs so that they can survive. A uh, couple of airlines stood out uh, during that process and uh, United Airlines is probably the best example. Uh, the union and the company management got together and figured out how they could work this without furloughing people. And in the, uh, as this stabilized and has started to come back, United has cleverly positioned itself in, in a position where they can very maximum flexibility going forward where the uh, flight schedule is concerned. We, we don't have to retrain you know, large numbers of people uh, in order to bring them up to you know, a currency you know, where they can be scheduled again. Uh, that's not the case at, at all the airlines, and a lot of the, the cancellations are just because they don't, they can't train their people, retrain their people, bring them up to currency fast enough to meet the the surge in demand. Um, you know, Alan, just let me say a couple, couple of com comments about that. One of the, if there is a theme these days when I talk to local businesses, it is the issue of staffing. Inadequate right. staffing haunts every industry. That's just a reality of where we are and hopefully things will get better. It's a great opportunity, by the way. A recent uh, Gallup uh, survey indicated that 74% of Americans think this is a great time to find a job and that's a, that's, a really good, that's a really good signal. But what I have found though is that not every company was in a position like United or some local companies where they can kind of maintain their staff. No. But the ones that did 
had a much easier time of it as it as it related to re- ramping back up again. The ones that had to lay people off have had the most difficult time of um, of, of of getting back going again, and still have very s- significant issues around that. But you know, not every company is in a position where they can do that. I mean, there is the there is the reality of staying viable as an institution, and some financially just can't do that, in spite of the federal programs that came down. But, but you know, the the reality though, and 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 as it relates to the inadequate staffing for United specifically, um, what I what I feel from you is is essentially a general uh, sense that United has supported um, pilots quite well. Yeah, that is that is without a doubt uh, the truth, and it's it's if I can throw in, forgive my pride in this, but uh, uh, I I think the CEO and the uh, union leadership worked very well together cooperatively. That uh, th- that process began when we were in somewhat contentious uh, contract negotiations. So those were iced, and we went to deal with the, the, the problem at hand, and that's, you know, hey, let, how do we survive this? But uh, the union agreed to reduce the number of flight hours by a significant amount, so we were actually getting paid less during that time, but we were still getting paid, which is, you know, a big deal. Uh, 1,000 United pilots, more senior guys, uh, took early retirement, and that, that took a lot of pressure off of, uh, you know, the financial aspect uh, as well, the bleed uh, during that time. And uh, yeah, and it was just, it was just real cooperative and, and uh, you know, everybody got uh, vaccinated. Uh, the company incentivized us without, without coming down, without using the hammer, you know, to, to force us to get vaccinated. They offered us uh, a financial incentive and said, look, we'll, we'll pay you guys for a, a whole trip. You know, we'll give you one trip's worth of pay if you'll you'll go get both of those vaccines. And you know, I thought that was a lot better than you know pulling out the whip or bringing down the hammer. Alan, we're coming to the end of this segment, but real quick, give me an idea of some of the countries you fly to. Uh, since I've been on the triple seven, been to Italy, India, Brazil, Hawaii. Um, Getting ready to go to uh, hopefully Britain soon once uh, once they unlock. Yeah, that was yeah. kind of a surprise. So what this what this means is that that Alan's in a great position to give travel advice. When we come back, I want to know what a what you, what kind of advice you give a friend when they think about doing international travel. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Alan Baker. You can also listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I'm, I'm honored to have here on the two-year anniversary of uh, Coast View, Alan Baker, an international pilot who lives in Gulfport. And, you know, what I, I refer to people like you, Alan, as an ambassador. Um, you represent 
coast of Mississippi, you represent Mississippi to the world. Literally, in your case, you literally represent us to the world. And we appreciate uh, the work that you do to help people have good feelings about this wonderful place that we live in. Um, one of the things that's interesting about what you do is you get a chance in all of your travel to stay at all these different hotels and you get to see what all the challenges are and, and how they vary from one country to the next and all that. So when a friend of you asks you for travel advice, what, what do you say to them? And this is specifically usually international travel, but what do you, what do you say to them? Uh, my first advice is to pay attention. Uh, things are changing so quickly right now. Uh, you just, you have got, if you're going to get on an airplane and go to a, another country and clear customs and, and you know, be subject to the, the rules and the laws and the customs of that place, you need to pay attention to what those are. You need to learn before you go. And as those, uh, those rules are changing you you have to flex with them um, not every source of information is reliable as we have learned here uh, so I, I recommend that people uh, check first with the united states sources the cdc and the u.s state department for any restrictions that they have or warnings they're they're full of advice and and they have they try to keep the most current uh, warnings about uh, changing restrictions, and I, I steer people to those. But uh, also the the countries that they go to visit, most of them maintain uh, websites with their latest information. And finally, keep in touch with your airline um, as you board, as you you know check in, and then board. You know your little your cell phone app should have a whole list of. of uh, you know, information and, and again, updates uh, for your travel. Uh, beyond that, uh, I would recommend strongly that people stay away from third-party uh, booking sites, you know, discount uh, sites. I'm not going to you know, name their names, but we all know what they are. Um, and that's not because I've, I'm against the, the concept of that. It's just that those, those will leave you vulnerable, can leave you vulnerable, especially if uh, things about your flight change, if it's delayed or canceled, those people are the last ones to rebook. If the flight is restricted or delayed and they have to deboard, you know, uh, deplane passengers, those, the first ones to get off will be the, the ones from those uh, that booked through those sites. So, you know, this is not a time to save a few bucks on your your uh, round trip fare to you know whatever country. Uh, protect yourself by you know paying the full you know the full fare, and uh, you know you'll you'll if if something happens, you, you you'll be ahead of the ones that you know that paid a, a few bucks to save a few bucks. Um, and I would generally extend that to hotels and car rentals and uh, cruise lines and, and things like that, at least for the for the time being until things stabilize out a little bit. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I see, um, and we're beginning to hear more about this, someone leaves the U.S. COVID-free, they go to wherever they're going, they contract COVID, and now they're stuck because they can't fly right. back with COVID. 
so they should really have a backup plan. I mean, they should really understand right. what happens if they get COVID. And that, I mean, some of them are forced into hotels that are COVID hotels. And some of them, you know, they're, they're, each country has a different approach. But that's kind of a scary scenario if you're not aware of what that might be. Well, it happens to crew members, too. Uh, I've got a friend right now locked down in Denver, Colorado, who uh, thought he was there for a, a fairly short overnight uh, woke up in the middle of the night with COVID symptoms, got worse as uh, the dawn approached. And uh, they not only, you know, of course, pulled him right off of that flight and stuck him in, uh, you know, a longer term uh, hotel downtown, but they also pulled his uh, first officer off, off of the trip and stuck him in quarantine. And uh, several of the flight attendants that were on the, you know, their crew, also went into quarantine. So it's not just uh, passengers that are, uh, you know, feeling the impact of this. And that kind of leads me to, you know, last point here is, man, if you're going to travel, you should expect some frustrations. Um, and, you know, any, it could be anything. Everybody's kind of in a cranky mood right now. And don't play into somebody else's meltdown. If you see somebody misbehaving or, or non-complying, man, Leave, let them do what they're going to do, but don't don't get sucked into that. Well, you know, you said it. You said it best. Um, if you're in a bad mood, you probably ought not travel. That's you right. Know, take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath. Recognize that there, the conditions are constantly changing. Uh, no one, the employees on the other side or the travelers, they, I, I don't think anyone wants your travel to be frustrating. But there are going to be people around you who are going to be frustrated that that come to the come to the airport in a volatile mood but as you're pointing out don't play into their volatile mood just keep keep your cool enjoy the opportunity you have to still travel just follow the rules and try to take a deep breath and get get through it as best you can but we're out of time now uh alan it's been a pleasure to visit with you my friend my pleasure this has been international pilot from gulfport alan baker and we'll see you tomorrow thanks very much Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.